What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We have a nice little host of topics for you today, but with me as always, a man who to me is like Fafel Bochum to Bayern München. It's Billy. Ah, can, uh, can we count Gerrit Holtman's fantastic goal or uh, Christian Gamboa's fantastic goal? Whatever you want. I was going for more of the the the, the fan, you know, the, the fan friendship between the two clubs. It was it was all about friendship. Uh, okay. It was cute. It was cute. But like Lewis said, we have a whole host of topics for you. And we'll start in the Bundesliga. We'll take a look at the two teams that make up the Revere derby. And they may have met for the first time in 1925. And Schalke may have the most wins in the derby, but... Fortunes are taking a bit of a turn. So we'll take a look at Schalke and at Dorman. And then in the Premier League, two teams from West London enjoying, let's say, opposite seasons to what historically they've enjoyed in the Premier League, Fulham and Chelsea. But all that and more after this. That's right. We're talking Rivia Dabby. Obviously, the Rivia Dabby is not going to be for another two weeks. 11th of March, pencil that into your calendars. Because Dortmund are still going to be playing a massive match against RB Leipzig come this weekend. But speaking of Dortmund, Bill, we've definitely had some, you know, so, some discussions about Dortmund's mentality, especially when Bayern have dropped points, Dortmund haven't been able to capitalize. This season seems to finally be the season where that mentality has changed, no? I think you're right. I think countless times we've questioned mentality. We've questioned whether it's coaching, whether it's playing staff, or whether it's higher up board level haven't lost since the World Cup. The last loss was that loss to Gladbach. I mean, it was a it was a horrible loss. I was about to say, 4-2. Uh... But the fact they haven't lost in 2023 is ridiculous. And full credit to Enin Tersic. Full credit to the players. In particular, there are many more, but I want to talk about the resurgence, the reignition of his career of uh, Julian Brandt. Oh, 100%. I mean, slot for stats incoming, but eight goals in 22 this season, four assists. He got nine in 31 last season and eight assists, but he's never broken that 10 goal in a season in his in his senior career. We would argue, seeing as he's scored the last, I believe it's four matches in a row, he'll break that. He definitely should, definitely should. And it's not news that he's good, if no. that makes sense. It's not it's not a shock. It's not stunned anyone. I think what is different is the, what's the word? Consistency. That's the one. The consistency with which he's doing it. Because obviously he scores fantastic goals in the past. He's had glimpses, he's had shimmers, but nothing's stuck. This season, particularly post-World Cup, seems different. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because it's it's always been that that thing of, you know, he was this amazing talent at Leverkusen and, you know, everyone was was after him. He ends up signing for Dortmund, even though Bayern showed serious interest. 
And, you know, after he signed for Dortmund, everyone basically at Bayern was like, well, thank God we didn't buy him because he never really, it, it never really sparked or he showed sparks of, of what he can do, but the sparks never really turned into, you know, the bomb exploding, so to speak. And Julian Brandt just bursting onto the scene in that sense. It was always, you know, he keeps showing flashes. It keeps just not clicking for more than like two matches. And it's almost, you know, a perfect picture of what Dortmund's uh, season was always like, which was also just, you know, they show flashes of playing well for one or two games and then they slip up against some team like, I don't know, uh, Augsburg, for instance. And it was just always just like, oh, come on, just get the consistency going. So in a sense, Julian Brandt showing consistency and Dortmund showing consistency are going hand in hand right now. Yeah, obviously it's always, it always helps when the team are playing well. Oh, obviously, yeah. But it's, it's difficult. Oh, sorry, it's easy for people to forget he's only 26 still. Yeah, he's in the prime of his career. So if he can keep this going now, Think of the think of what a player he could be in one or two years. You know, you talk about the importance of players like Musiala at Bayern or yeah. you know Kai Havertz when he was at Leverkusen. Yeah. He could be that for Dortmund, particularly if they are going to lose Jude Bellingham, if they are going to keep losing star Top players, player, yeah. you know. He could be that constant. And particularly now that Marco Royce is, let's be honest, probably coming towards the end of his time. Yeah, I mean, funny you mention him because right now there are talks. Obviously, Royce's um, contract is running out at the end of the season. And the talks to get him to re-sign are basically... It, both parties seem interested, but the main rumblings, if you will, that are coming out of those talks is that Dalton would want to have his salary. And, you know... Marco Reus at the minute, obviously on 12 million, he is the top paid player at Dortmund. Taking a pay cut of, you know, of half, it's a steep price. They obviously want to, you know, fill it up with a lot of bonus payments that would be, you know, performance-based, which is what we already talked about Dortmund wanting to do anyway um, with all of their new contracts, which is good. But it's still saying something when you obviously you have a talisman like Marco Reus, who's now going to have to deal with the fact that he is just not, you know, top dog anymore in that sense. But there are other players coming through, you know. We've seen Jude Bellingham captain Dortmund already this season. I'd argue Dortmund's best player and most important player by a long shot is Jude Bellingham. And it's just not Marco Reus anymore. And that's one of the things I think will be interesting to see how he takes that yeah it will be interesting because if they don't re-sign marco royce to a new contract if jude bellingham does leave this summer i know they want to keep him for a bit longer they want to sign him to a, an extension to try and keep him around longer it'll be important for players like brandt to step up obviously exactly. you see for signed a new contract as well which is massive because you don't want to lose him on a free oh hell no <laughs> and you talk about the the change in Dortmund, the change in whatever attitude or mentality or whatever it is. It's the the grinding out of results, the the late late show performances, if you are a 
particularly Gio Reyna. He had a oh yeah horrible World Cup with all that stuff that happened, and he was sent home. But oh yeah, all the controversy surrounding his relationship with uh, the coach Greg Berhalter and, and things like that. It was yeah, it was a mess. Put it that way. It was messy. Uh, his parents didn't make it any better, but he <laughs> came back. He's focused on club football and scored two late winners in crucial games for Dortmund and that's why they're joint top of the league yeah exactly you know you have to it is just that it is not just putting on the flashy performances and grinding out you know massive wins like a 4-1 against Hatta Bedin it's when the going gets tough and you've got a game where it's not clicking as well and this is what Bayern have done for the last decade which is also why they've won so so many titles in a row it's getting the scrappy one nil win when you need to it's yeah we're tired we've got you know heavy legs it's it's not really our week we're not playing amazingly but we still manage to get the result in that we need to and then we live to fight another day basically because that has just been the issue at Dortmund hasn't it it's just been they'll play that that amazing game or they might even grind out a result you know the rare win in De Classica but then you know immediately the week after it'll be a team like Augsburg a team like Hoffenheim who just dick them over and everyone's asking what well, <laughs> you can't go win against the against the top dogs and then screw up against the small teams funnily enough one of the main issues at Gladbach. Exactly. You know, Gladbach will beat Bayern and then go and lose the next game. Uh, it's... And, and, and in emphatic fashion, no less. I mean, a 4-0 loss. Oof. If you're going to lose, do it spectacularly. Uh, just one last thing on Dortmund before we move to Schalke. I think they finally nailed the back line. And yeah. I never thought I'd say it, but Marius Wolf at right back seems to be doing absolute wonders. That, I mean, they, Dortmund have have had a little bit of a problem area at right back anyway, so it's it's always it's always been like a little bit of musical chairs trying to figure out which which player are we going to try and figure or we'll we'll do the best in in that position. So you know. It might be the guys who, I think, Marius Wolf, no one really expected him to be a regular starter for Dortmund anyway. And even this season, he hasn't been, you know, a regular starter. It's only been in the last few matches. So, hey, I mean, it's they've got it nailed. And you would think that with the investments they did make to their back line, it should at some point click. You know, six goals conceded in the last seven matches. It's not the most outlandish stat but it's solid it's solid and it's because they stopped playing Nicholas Sula at right back I mean I didn't think yeah. we'd see Maris Wolf at Obviously right back not, no. <laughs> uh, you know but it's it's not just that it's Julian Brandt playing at right wing or right midfield when we've normally associated him as a very narrow through the middle creative player he's doing his job out wide cutting in and it's showing dividends you know credit to yeah. edin tersic and from one team doing really well to another team not so much i think they haven't had the easiest time of it have they schalke no and 
you know, they really have to watch so they don't become one of those yo-yo teams like you have so often in the Prem. Because, you know, obviously they're they're bottom of the table right now. They are only three points off of a non-relegation spot, which is massive for them. I mean, and th- this is down to their to their last four games or the last five games in in all honesty. Because it's it's a massive feat to only be four points off of 14th when you're bottom of the table. But I think it, the biggest one for me was the fact that Schalke in the last five matches have only conceded one goal. You're not looking at the worst defense in in the league as well with Schalke, which I think, I mean, all well and good, only Bochum are worse. But if they're 18th, usually bottom of the table, you also associate with having the worst goal difference. And we just have to say that, you know, they brought back Ralf Fehrmann as number one, who everyone said was basically his career was dead and buried. Given he did have a small howler, which led to the Stuttgart uh, goal, or which led to the one single goal that they did concede. But he kept clean sheets in all four matches with decent saves as well. Well, what did we talk about earlier in the season? <laughs> With Ralph Farman being told that he uh, had to stop eating so much cake. Maybe he stopped eating cake. You never well, know. <laughs> exactly. You know, he's he said in an interview, you know, he was criticized internally, but he's he said, that's why I don't eat cake anymore. Because look at him now. He's back, he's playing, and he's playing really well. Back to the the player that we knew years ago. I was about to say, take it back about five or six years, and this guy was the closest you could get to being selected for the German national team. You know, when Schalke were still up there, before it started all, you know, going to pieces, he was very much in contention for a team on the nat- for for a spot on the national team. It was it was unbelievably close. And then you know, with Schalke's downfall also started Ralf Fehrmann's downfall. You know, you started seeing mistakes. He was dropped. He was shipped out on loan. And Schalke even loaned out Alexander Schwolo, who was starting for Freiburg at the time, then moved to Hertha Berlin when everyone thought, you know, Hertha Berlin still might be able to turn it around and become that big city club that they want to be. And now he's shipped out on loan to, you know, Schalke, which is wasn't the great thing, and now he's been pinched by by Reis in favor of Fairmont. So, just goes that, to show this this sport is so so hot and cold almost, and everyone really does just uh, remember your last game, really. Yeah, well, you're that saying you're only as good as your last game. Yeah, and Ralph Farman, to to be fair, has really stepped it up. And I don't want to see Schalke go down. No. It's not like I'm crying out for them to go down. I think obviously they bring something else because they bring a massive game, two massive games a season. The fans are fantastic. I'm not saying Bochum's fans aren't. No. But they're just not the same level. It's 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 a different or I wouldn't even go as far to say it's down to the fans. I'd say it's down to the fact that Schalke just brings a piece of German football culture that 
I'd say almost half the teams in the Bundesliga you ju- just can't boast of. I mean, you're taking a look at at Hoffenheim, at Wolfsburg, Leipzig as well. Uh, that's just not you know traditional German football culture. That is. I mean, I, in all honesty, I met a a Hoffenheim fan at work the other day, and or uh, I said the other day, a few weeks ago, and I couldn't believe that they actually existed outside of Hoffenheim or outside yeah. of Zentheim, in all honesty. So it really threw me. Um, but yeah, you know, it is. Ju- it just goes back down to the to the culture that Schalke bring with them. So I think that's the main reason why. I think, in all honesty, no one wants to see Schalke go down. Well, just on that, before we talk about Thomas Rice quickly, after years and years of, of fan protest, uh, Hoffenheim's Dietmar Hopp wants to finally relinquish full control and give it back to the 50 plus one. Exactly, because he's one of three. Hoffenheim are one of three exceptions to the 50 plus one rule in the sense that they're all the sort of, I mean, Leverkusen is the official, you know, or I say the official, the the team known as a Werksklub, but Werksklub basically means, you know, a club that is associated with a company. So obviously Wolfsburg, Volkswagen, um, and Hoffenheim, SAP, um, and then Leverkusen, as we very well know, Bayern. But yeah, that is massive news because he would just make the club like any other Bundesliga club or any other one of the, you know, if you do the math right then, 15 Bundesliga clubs that currently do exist. And it would be massive news because, you know, in an era where many people are thinking, you know, how can the 50 plus one rule still stand? How do clubs still survive with this model? For someone to basically say, or for one of the exceptions to the rule, to basically say we want to become part of the rule fully, I think that's a massive step. Yeah, well, he, Modernization with football in general. He, he said, I know that the 50 plus one rule, which I've always supported, is a great asset for German football. There you go. There we go. Well, we'll leave Hoffenheim. Let's quickly talk about Thomas Rice. Because he's not the first manager that Schalke have had this season. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I think we both said Frank Kramer wouldn't last. He just, it just did not seem like the classic. Or I say, I say classic. He just didn't seem like a manager who was fit to be at the Bundesliga level. Much like you know our good friend Nathan Jones from last week. Um, yeah, it just didn't seem seem like a good fit. And Thomas Reis, he was fired from Bochum. I think that Schalke have definitely found a manager who does fit with the club because he has he has made some made some comments and he does have a clause in his contract, doesn't he, Bill? He does. It's valid for uh, the Zweite Bundesliga. So worst case scenario, they do go down. He will, well, hopefully bring them straight back up is what they hope for at first time of asking. It's not always that easy. Just ask Hamburg. <laughs> but it, it shows that he's got no thoughts, immediate thoughts about jumping ship and leaving just because things are going bad, which I think for players, 
you're more likely, in, in my opinion anyway, you're more likely to buy into a manager's ideas and a manager's way of playing if you know he's going to be around. Exactly. I think I think that's one of the biggest things also at Schalke is having some puzzle pieces where you know it's going to be around for more than six months. I think that's the biggest problem. One of the biggest problems at Schalke is that no player, there are players who are leaving, you know, left, right, and center. There's turnaround, whether it be sponsors, whether it be sporting directors, um, management. It just seems like a re- many revolving carousels on many levels where no one knows if that same person is going to be in that same spot this time next year or whatever. And I think for a manager specifically, that's a massive boost. And, you know, we've seen the results that have been grinding out. You know, we take away the 3 0 loss to Frankfurt and the 6 1 thumping from from Leipzig to start the year off again. We take that, you know, as an anomaly, so to speak. The rest of the matches have been, for Schalke standards, pretty freaking good. Yeah, we were heavily critical of them when they went down last time. Yeah. You know, I I I believe the word circus was thrown around a few times because it it well, was. I, I did just name them name carousels again, so it's not. We we've got we've made some some. We've taken a couple steps up. Well, there we go. So two teams in Germany with opposite fortunes in the table. Let's move over to the Premier League, where we've got something similar, isolated to West London. Salah. You said it. West London teams, we're going to be taking a look at Fulham and Chelsea, but I think we can safely say, or safely quote Michael G. Scott here and say, oh, how the turntables. Because Fulham level on points with Liverpool and are only because of the worst goal difference on seventh, they're still very much in the fight for maybe making, you know, Europa League and con- or Europa Conference League. And they were just promoted. You know, we're t- when we talk of Schalke not wanting to become a yo-yo team, Fulham are the literal definition of yo-yo team. You look in the dictionary for yo-yo team, they just say Fulham. FC Fulham, that's it. Fulham FC. Big fan of FC Fulham. Oh geez. It makes them sound Europe. It makes them sound like some exotic Greek team or something. I was about to say it's it's because in in, in German we always put the 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 FC in front in front of everything. We, but here, yeah. Sorry. All good. All good. <laughs> but here's the thing. So Marco Silva, the manager, mm-hmm. very highly rated when he was at Watford. Went to Everton. Didn't really work out. But then again. No, no one, one seems to be yeah. working out at Everton at the moment. He's now at Fulham. And I'll just give you some of the players in this in this Fulham team. Okay, this is the team that started, albeit the one all draw against Wolves, but played very well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Bernd Leno signed from Arsenal, who incidentally has just been nominated for Premier League Player of the Month. Who'd have, who'd have thought last season I'd be saying that? I was about to say, especially after his move to Fulham, we were basically like, that's his career done. Oh, again, what did we say about Ralph Fairman? 
there you go. It's it's a resurgence. We should call this episode the resurgence, the resurgency of German goalkeepers. Plain and simple. Uh, Anthony Robinson, the American left back, who's very good. Tim Ream, personally not a fan, but he, he does a very good job. He's that sort of old school, bloody nose centre half. It's a Diop sign from West Ham, which was a bit of a shock because. I thought he was quite good at West Ham. Yeah. Kenny Tete, he's good. And then it's the the defensive midfield partnership. Okay, so Harrison Reed, Southampton Academy boy, but João Paulinha, who was and, well, continues to be one of the standout performers in the Premier League this season. They signed him from Sporting Lisbon in the summer. Possible team of the season candidate, maybe? Definite team of the season candidate, I think. Ooh. Uh, Willian signed from Corinthians. You know, we saw what he did at Chelsea. Had glimmers of it at Arsenal, but I think a lot of people thought he was done. But he seems to be thriving in this. I was about to say, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure no one expected him to ever come back to Europe after he signed for Corinthians. In all honesty, no. Uh, Andreas Pereira was a, a bit part player. You know, I couldn't nail down a position. Was in and out of the team. Was on loan. Yeah consistently performing for Fulham I think it's probably fair to say yeah obviously Mitrovic is is injured at the moment mm. but Carlos Vinicius is just another lump to put up front but it's, it's an option yeah but then particular player that they've got they've got a player called Manor Solomon okay and it's really interesting his last two goals so the goal the equaliser against Fulham against Wolves and one of the goals against Leeds in the FA Cup. Almost identical. It's insane. So gets the ball on the left-hand side, cuts it onto his right and bends it into the far right-hand corner. But they're, they're quick. They press high up the pitch. It doesn't always work because you press high up the pitch, you leave a lot of space in behind. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've also got players like... Uh... Levin Kurosawa, who used to play for PSG, he's he has experience. He brings that with him under his belt. So it's a team, you know, Cedric, the uh the the left back, he's been linked with so many massive teams, and he and he does have a few, a fair few of them under his belt as well. You know, they've got a Daniel James who's rapid, quick. I know he's not all that, and you know, he he didn't really didn't really become the player that I think a lot of people wanted him to become at United. But, you know, they don't have... They've also got depth. Like, they don't have a bad team, and that extends to their bench as well. Well, just, you know, they started the season off in a, a ridiculously good way. Two all against Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, with the exception of a 4-1 loss to Newcastle, they've not really been thumped at all. You know, they... they 2-1 lost to Man City. Uh, they lost 2-1 to United with a yeah. last-minute goal. They yeah. beat Chelsea. Uh, a narrow loss to Spurs. You know, they, they don't get thumped. No. Which last time Fulham were in the Premier League, it was almost... <laughs> you know, I, it sounds disrespectful to say, but it was almost a, a, a free six points for most teams. Yeah. I was about to say, I think... I think it's been that way every single time they've gotten themselves promoted. I mean, they've yo-yoed back and forth since 2018 
you know, through and through. 2018, um, every year it's been championship, then back up to the Premier League, then back to, down to the championship after spending, you know, and it was, it was just that you knew the minute that Fulham were coming in, you're just like, oh, okay, well, that's just basically cannon fodder for the rest of the league. And, you know, this season they've really turned it around and it's not just they're doing well and they're getting, they're keeping themselves above the relegation zone. They are actually competing for European places. And I think that can't be rated highly enough just judging by where that team has come from. And that club just, you know, as I said, they've been yo-yoing for so long now. It's insane. That They're a good team with a good manager and a really odd ground, which is fantastic. I was going to say, could... Craven Cottage is just, what is that? If they could just get rid of the clappers, <laughs> they'd be fine. That's my only criticism of Fulham this season. Um... Whereas... I've got a lot of things to say about a blue team from West London. And I'm just going to give you some names and we're going to play a little game of Jeopardy. Oh, go on then. Okay. Familiar with Jeopardy? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you three names. Gus Hiddink, Frank Lampard and Andre Villas-Boas. I'll have managers with better records than Graham Potter uh, in their first 11 matches for 200, please. Exactly right, my friend. <laughs> Graham Potter. Lovely Graham. Nice man, Graham. Has the third worst record of any Chelsea boss God. after 11 games. The only two that are worse are Ian Porterfield and Glenn Hoddle, who both have 13 points after 11 games. Graham Potter has 15. I just want to start this because it's not going to be a pleasant experience no. for Chelsea. <laughs> um, if anyone's giving death threats to Graham Potter and his family, you really need to sort your, your fucking head. life out. <laughs> Have your head checked. It's it's football. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah, we don't like losing. But come on. I'm sorry, Graham Potter's also been tasked with some really, it's an impossible task. Like it is, he's just been set up to fail. I'm sorry, but it's his, he's done well with Brighton. We said he definitely has shown that he's got the stuff to, you know, to be a successful manager in the Premier League. But to set him up with some gung ho owner who basically is just chucking money left, right, and center at the club and thinking that will make all the problems go away. And not systematically looking at what is going on in the club that is not working. What are some areas that we have to revamp? What are some areas that are working well that we should prioritize and actually stick money into? And what are some pieces that just have to go? It's that whole thought process that is just completely going out the window. And it's, you know, for anyone blaming Graham Potter, I think it, it is just so unfair because he is getting a ragtag team of players who arguably, I'd say, 
not worth the price tags paid for them. Which also, in turn, ramps up the 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 pressure on those players. The pressure is there on the manager because obviously everyone is throwing around the fact that Chelsea have spent you know three hundred mil, uh, three hundred plus mil in the winter transfer window. Obviously, something has to work out. They've loaned out players like Joao Felix, and you know, slot for stats incoming. But since November, Chelsea have scored six goals. Manchester United, by contrast, and I thought I'd, I'd just you know throw this in there for Billy, just to just to make him feel good. Come on, say it, say it. In the same time period, they have scored fifty. Oh, and about thirty of those probably went to Marcus Rashford. I don't know, <laughs> but you know, just just think about that crazy stat for a second. The whole Chelsea team do not have. The, they haven't scored more goals than they've had players on the pitch since the new year. Well, I mean, it's only going to get worse for them because Thiago Silva's now out for five to six weeks after he went off again. That's, that's the only glue that basically held that back line together. It's really funny. <laughs> but I, I want to, you know, Wesley Fofana came on for him uh, yeah. in the 2-0 loss to Spurs, but I... A penny for the thoughts of Benoit Badiashiel. A really highly rated centre-half at Monaco. Signed yeah. for Chelsea. Yeah. Immediately cut from the Champions League squad. Without, you know, without hesitation. Yeah. Uh, you know, now can't get a game. Hopefully, I mean, Koulibaly, it's been... Sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say, okay, mate, it's it's not working out. At the end of the day, they bought Koulibaly one to maybe even as far back as three seasons too late. Oh, do you know what I've just realised? What? That man's left Napoli, who are top of the league. <laughs> They're going to win their first Serie A title since the days of Maradona, and one of their best players of recent times isn't going to be there. But we can laugh about that another time. Uh, if you it's... just imagine being Koulibaly right now, just imagine your team is not even going to make conference league. But they don't deserve it. Obviously, you know, we no, about... they obviously they don't. They've been. This is one of those seasons where you know, think back to the season where they finished tenth. I think it was under Mourinho. One what twenty fifteen? That around there. Around somewhere there, they finished tenth. You're looking at a season definitely in that type of type of arena, with the one added aspect that they've thrown an insane amount of money, PSG levels amount of money at the club, and it's not working out in the slightest. Well, a little. Uh insight into podcast production here we were going to talk about liverpool at this stage uh but they had yeah. to be really selfish and beat wolves 2-0 so there wasn't really much to talk about yeah i was about to say you know it, it kind of ruins the premise when we were going to be looking at how badly liverpool seasons uh, has been so far and then they have to go and win so we will continue yeah. with chelsea and i i just want to make a point and this isn't me being oh you know man united man united man united it's it's fact we lost 2-1 to Brighton mm. under Graham Potter 
and 4-0 to Brentford. First two games of the season. Yeah, right? it wasn't looking good for you. <laughs> it wasn't looking good. And the the nickname Eric 10 Games was being thrown around by um, uh, hairy knuckle enthusiast Richard Keyes. <laughs> have so much disdain for that man. <laughs> Chewbacca fingers himself, Richard Keyes, called, oh called him Eric, Eric 10 Games. I noticed that there's a lot of defending Graham Potter from people in the media. Presumably. Me included. <laughs> I just defended him. <laughs> presumably, because he's English. I'm not saying that's your reason. I'm just saying, you know, no. come on. The amount of money they spent as well in January. Yeah. It's almost like Todd Bowley doesn't know what he's doing. And if you want to listen to a deeper dive into this, because I won't go into it again, but do listen to the episode we did recently with Louis Benevente all about, you know, the transfer window and Todd Bowley. And, and Todd Bowley. But they're already, if you listen to the reports and read the, the papers and things like that, already undermining Graham Potter, who hasn't been there a full season. Or that's why I'm defending him because I also would have defended, or I I did also defend Ten Hag at the beginning because, you know, we he's the one who's turned around Man United, and that's that's credit to him, and he needed the time, and it would have 100% backed him and said that club has been run, you know, it's been a shambles the way they've been run, and he's he's got to clear up the. The pile of shit basically and until he can start making his mark it'll be a while obviously now he's won the afl cup which i know billy you went to and we're front row and everything and it's all great and i'm really jealous and whatever and you know he's made his mark but coming back to chelsea graham potter hasn't you know the for me the winter transfer period is the dumbest thing ever because it is just a bunch of teams throwing way too much money and overpaying for players who in the end are probably not going to help them that much. I can probably count off on one hand the amount of players that have completely exploded after a winter transfer. The majority of transfers that happen in the winter just are just end up being, you know, mistakes or, you know, misunderstandings. Oh, and not, not everyone can be a Bruno Fernandes, but it, it that's yeah, okay. See, that's what I'm saying. One on one hand, I'm counting it off. But it's things like that, and then everyone's like, yeah, okay, they're throwing 300 mil. Yeah, they're throwing 300 mil, but they're throwing 300 mil with players who, they one, they can't even register for the Champions League squad, you know, bar that. And two, you know, you're throwing a player in the middle of a season, and he's got to get integrated into the team. That player will probably not show his full potential until the start of the new season. Because he's going to take six months to basically get acclimatized to the new club, new surroundings, new everything. Then he'll do the full first preseason, and then he should be good to go. But if you think that he's going to, you know, work like that, it's just, it's just not going to happen. I, I mean, you look at the team that lost to Spurs. Okay, so Tottenham had a midfield of Pierre Emil Hoybier. And Oliver Skip. <laughs> Skip. He scored a freaking banger, though. He did. Take nothing away from Oliver Skip. It was oh fantastic. God. But Fraser Forster in goal. 
Oh. Eric Dyer, Clement Longley at the back with Christian Romero. Who's Eric Dyer's who's a decent. CDM. I, for the life of me, he still plays center center back. It's insane. You know, your eighty-eight million pound mark. Well, one of the marquee signings of your January transfer window, yeah. Mikhailo Mudrik, is on the bench. <laughs> uh, Hakim Ziyech is still starting. The the persistence to not play Joao Felix where he's said repeatedly he wants to play, <laughs> as in where Kai Havertz has been playing. I was about to say, and Kai Havertz does want to be up top. He went to the center attacking mid, just switch the two. I mean... It's like putting square pegs in round holes. <laughs> and Enzo Fernandez, it will come back and bite me in the ass. this statement. Um, but since he joined Chelsea, no player has been dribbled past more. So, um, life comes at you pretty fast. I was going to say, one minute you're winning the World Cup, and the next you've been bought by Chelsea for a ridiculous amount of money, and you're not performing. It doesn't look too good. But yeah, I mean, you look at the players they're bringing on, you've got you know, to bring on a Wesley Fofana, who was amazing for Leicester last season. You're bringing on Mason Mount, who is basically the best thing that has happened, that has come from Chelsea's academy since maybe Jamal Muziala. Um, just in all fairness, Jamal Muziala didn't really become the, the player he was until he got to Bayern, so it's all good. Um, you know, a Dennis Zakaria, who's, who was the go-to midfielder for Gladbach for a massive amount of time. These aren't bad players, but it's just not a team, not a cohesive team. We said that Graham Potter still doesn't know who his best 11 is before or right before the World Cup. Does he still know? Does he or has he found that out by this point in time? It still doesn't seem like he has. Uh, I mean, he probably had a better idea until Todd went and bought a thousand players in January. <laughs> I think last thing before we wrap up for this week, it's massively important for Chelsea and a lot of those players that Todd Bowley isn't like most Americans trigger happy and sacks him before the end of the season or in the off season and brings in someone else because there's all these rumors and things like that. Zidane, uh, Luis Enrique, Poch, Someone put on Twitter, okay, and I found it and I, I saved it because it resonated it made, with you. Yeah. Well, it made me laugh, <laughs> if anything. If yeah, Potter, so it resonated you, with you. Yeah. yeah. If Potter is sacked, the next manager needs to be someone that develops youngsters, good attacking philosophy, not scared of changing formation and top in game management. And if I, if I just check my notes, um, that's Graham Potter at Brighton. Yeah. Uh, I work with a Brighton fan. And he said to me, it took time for that philosophy, that way of playing yeah. to be integrated. It's not a click your fingers and it happens overnight. This isn't a, no. a one and done. A look at Brighton. Time. Yeah, look at, look at how much time it took for Brighton to get where you know, they have been this season. It's ridiculous. You know, another name being thrown around is Roberto De Zerbi as well. He's only been at Brighton 10 minutes. They're playing fantastic football, you know, but it was that he picked up on the foundation that Graham Potter had left yeah, and has built on it. That's all you need to give Graham Potter is time, not 
hundreds of millions of pounds for every player that football manager think are going to be good in five years time that, that's the thing as well you know you can't think that or the the problem with a lot of businessmen coming in and buying football clubs is that they think that it makes the money like a business world one of the one one of the takeaways i had from from going to uni was the fact that if you want to invest in some company or buy something if you have the money to do so don't buy a sports club you're going to end up sinking so much money into that just to keep it at the level it's at that it's one of the worst investments you can make you only buy a sports club if it's basically you're that much of a fan and that much of a hobby or it's that much of a hobby for you that you don't care what money you throw at it it is just that much fun for you to own a sports club and to want to see it do well and that's what i think is the main problem for todd bowley is that he is one of those businessmen who comes in clearly has no idea what or how the philosophy of football in europe works because you know it it's a different thing if he's been watching american sports and he's been looking at how american sports are run because they're franchises it's a whole different business model um draft systems whatnot you we can we can talk about this for hours but to understand the european football market and i think that's where also the glazers will always have had their problems fsg will have always had their problems and i think premier examples of that is Cronkies and arsenal that they just don't have the idea of how football in europe works so and it is it is a big problem that you know the the premier league has mostly but yeah at the end of the day top bowling needs to figure out fast that this is a different beast he's dealing with I think that's quite a nice place to leave it, Lewis. Quite a poignant note to end on. Uh, you know, they, they don't pay me for nothing. I'm just kidding. We don't get money for this. Talking your money. Jesus. But as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports News on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out the 50 plus one football podcast. Billy did drop uh, specifically for the whole Chelsea thing, a nice little episode with louis beneventi about all things chelsea and todd bowley so go and check that out and also a few other things or other episodes um from previous weeks on google podcasts apple podcasts amazon podcasts and spotify but thanks very much for listening guys keep calm and love the beautiful game